What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. So good to be back with you. Okay, thank you for waiting one extra day. Christmas threw me for a loop, but here I am with the full breakdown, recap of what I learned and what I saw at Turning Point USA's America Fest. I brought on Dan Catchpole, who's a legitimate journalist. He's the guy who interviewed Doug Wilson a couple weeks ago for us. I brought him on to interview me to talk about everything I saw. I hope this interview is helpful for you. I did my best to be as honest and transparent. You can also see my 25-minute recap on YouTube where I kind of go through some of the, the uh, higher level, big picture overview highlights in one swoop. So you can always check that out. I'll put a link to it in our show notes. And I hope this episode, again, is just really helpful for you to understand Christian nationalism, why we're concerned about Turning Point USA, also the human element of this and how I'm trying to wrestle through both of these things at the same exact time. That being said, I do want to say it is almost the end of the year. I can't believe it. 2023 is right around the corner. Would you consider making a one-time tax-deductible donation to the New Evangelicals? Without your donation, our work is not possible, and it helps us hold space for thousands of people trying to find better ways forward. It also keeps everything that we do, including this podcast, completely paywall-free. There's no barrier to entry financially for anyone in our community, and I can honestly say, because of your donation, so many people are helped. In fact, this year alone, we reached over a million people on Instagram alone. That's amazing. You can go to the link in our show notes. Donating takes literally three minutes. It takes Apple Pay, PayPal. It's a tax deduction for you and helps people know that they're not alone in their faith journey. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dan. If you have any feedback on, on, on this conversation, shoot me an email, shoot me a DM. I would love to hear it from you. We'll talk later on. Have a great day. Is this like our thing now? You want to mess up the intro at the start? Yes, yes. I want to do that on purpose every time. Um, Dan, it's good being back with you. Like I was saying earlier, before I made a colossal mistake having to restart this intro, you have been on the podcast before. You actually interviewed Doug Wilson for us, and then you came on the podcast to talk about that interview. And now on this episode, you're going to be interviewing me, kind of helping me unpack my four days um, at Turning Point USA's America Fest, which I was at really only about a week ago, which is wild to think about. Um, I took a lot of notes. I have a ton of their material. I'm showing you right now on my camera how much stuff I got from them and just tons of stuff. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation because I did a a 25-minute kind of recap video on YouTube, which people might think that's long. Well, when you do four like 16-hour days, 25 minutes is actually pretty condensed. So I'm looking forward, though, to unpacking more of this stuff in detail. So thanks for making time and coming on and interviewing me. It means a lot. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this and honestly kind of jealous that uh, I would have loved to have gone. It sounds like it was, it was a really interesting experience. And it's just a recap for any listeners who don't know. Uh, do you want to just quickly summarize what TPUSA's America Fest is? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So Turning Point USA is probably at this point the largest, cons well, I don't use the term conservative with them, really Christian nationalist network of, of, of politicians, uh, pastors, other kinds of leaders. And they do this event once a year called America Fest, which is really a who's who of people in those spaces. Over 10,000 people attended. It's a massive exhibit. It's a massive podcasting network. There's, there's tons of news stations there, all in these far 
right Christian nationalist spaces. There are tons of speakers. I mean, it's three days pretty much of non-stop speakers are, are speaking um, from some of the top um, conservative, you know, right-wing um, uh, pundits and politicians. So we have Lauren Boebert, Ali, Ali Stuckey, Candace Owens, Matt Walsh, Tucker Carlson, Trump Jr., etc. They're all there speaking at this event. So I got invited by someone who actually was speaking there um, on like one of the off days about 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 like their actual ministry, which I must say is a pretty legitimate legitimate ministry, and um and they said, hey, I know we, we don't agree on everything, but we do on we do agree on on really protecting children from legitimate abuse, like you know church abuse and, and trafficking. So why don't you come out and check out the event and hang out with us? And I said that would be great. So they invited me out, and that's how I was able to even go uh, to this thing. Uh, and so I spent four days um, really just checking out the event day in and day out, listening to as much small talk as I could, uh, meeting people who I've critiqued online and vice versa. So that was interesting. So it was really a very intense four days, really in the center of so much of the work that we think is concerning as new evangelicals regarding Christian nationalism and what it's trying to do in America. Yeah. And I mean, this, these kind of events are, I think are really important for understanding where this movement's at and where it's going. It really is kind of the tip of the spear in a lot of ways. Oh, for, for, for sure. Yeah. So thank you for going and thank you for sharing your experience here. Of course. Uh, first off, I guess just, you know, I'm curious, like what, it, not without going into this a, a huge amount of time, but what was the thing that surprised you the most? You know, a, a lot of people who, I told my community, hey, should, should I do this? I, I, I kind of polled everyone. And like 85, 90% of people said, yes, you need to go. But a lot of them who said yes were like, hey, we're really concerned about your safety. What if someone recognizes you? I wasn't super concerned about my safety, but I didn't know how I'd be received there. I mean, some of the people who – We've talked about, for example, Samuel Duth of Awakened Church. He's been on our podcast. We've, we've critiqued him pretty heavily in other content and vice versa. He was there. So I'm like, well, how's it going to be? I mean, how are we going to, how are we going to engage? And he was very cordial, very polite. He, he asked me out to get a cup of coffee. Don't worry. He, he didn't try and save me or anything. But the point was that him, he wanted to talk. And so I, I was pleasantly surprised that, that even though, we're very outspoken, you know. We're very honest about about our major concerns with Christian nationalism. The people who knew me and, and who knew I was coming, including people behind the scenes at Turning Point Faith, by the way, were all incredibly cordial um, and kind. Now, I, I do want to say, and I mentioned this in in our recap, I do realize that I have my own privilege that that plays a part in that, right? I mean, I, I'm a white bro evangelical essentially. At least, at least I, I could pass as one, and I'm, I'm pretty fluent in that language. I mean, I grew up in those spaces, so I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to overstate and say, "Hey, anyone who would have went, who was in our spaces, would have been welcomed." But, but certainly for me and my experience, people were super kind, super cordial, willing to engage, willing to talk, uh, willing to to say, "Yeah, I'm." You know, let, let's talk anytime you want. And so for that, I'm really grateful for it. Yeah, and so the next thing I wanted to ask you. It, your point about being a certain demographic, this perhaps isn't uh, a total, you know, I'd be curious to hear somebody who's, who was not, who's trans, who went in there and, um, you know, had what their experience was, but given you are who you are, um, what did you think about that? The reception that you got, the cordial, friendly, opening, welcoming, um, the dichotomy between that and the language that is used from by Christian nationalists talking about liberals, 
uh, ex-evangelicals, people who are just not don't buy into Christian nationalism or oppose it. Yeah. Well, first, I do want to say there actually was. Um, I actually met met uh, a trans man there at the event. Uh, <laughs> he was with the Gays Against Rumors crowd. Uh, they had a small booth, and so it's 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 a queer community who for whatever reason, right or wrong, is fully bought into kind of that groomer talking point. And they were there handing out their literature. And I I, I met him. He was a very nice man. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm a trans man. I'm here at the event. And I asked him, I said, well, I said, do you feel welcomed in these spaces? And the, the booth who was there, the, the folks who were there kind of gave a, yeah, you know, it's, we're not, no one's hostile towards us, but I think there is that tension for some of them, but also because they really fall into that particular uh, talking point, I think that they, they were more well received. So I, I, that was my, that was yeah. my only experience. I can't. That's all I can give you as far as what I saw and who I talked to in that community who was there. Uh, but even they being in that space were a little maybe tentative with with, with, with how they were being received. Um, regarding the dichotomy, I mean that that is probably my my biggest riddle for me that I wanted to try and get some kind of answer to because you're right. I mean I. For all intents and purposes, you know, I am that that demonic liberal, I guess, that is trying to destroy the country. Uh, and I'm even worse. I'm a what they would call would be a, a progressive Christian. I don't really Ooh. identify that way, but I'm definitely I fall in those circles, right? And and it is weird shaking their hand, talking to people, seeing people I, I've met online, talk to me super kindly, and then just seeing all the rhetoric that that they're involved with or that they're listening to of, you know, um, the, the Democrats are demonic. It's satanic. The left is trying to destroy the country. I mean, I overheard at, at my hotel bar, someone say, pick your fucking side. You're either pro constitution, pro America, or you want to destroy the country kind of painting, painting that, that dichotomy, you know, like if you're not with us, you just are on the other side trying to ruin America, which honestly, I think we should point out, has been a very common talking point for a long time. When I was a kid listening to talk radio, that was Rush Limbaugh. That was Sean Hannity. I mean, this is just kind of the, the MO for, for that space of Democrats are always trying to ruin the country. They they hate America. That's kind of the propaganda piece. And it's super effective. Very binary. Very binary. It's difficult watching people who tell me that, you know, allegiance to Jesus is paramount for them, then either participate or sit under people who would say things like that, right? And I, I've asked people that. I asked a few person, people, including one of the most prominent pastors in this Christian nationalist movement. Now, I do want to say I'm not going to name drop because I didn't get explicit consent to mention our conversations. And consent and privacy are very important to us as an organization. So I'm not here to say this person's holding this. But all I can tell you is that someone who maybe is the most prominent, if not one of the most prominent pastors in this movement, I asked him that question. And his response was pretty much, in, in, in his own words, well, I, I don't like it a whole lot. It's not my favorite, but that's kind of, and that was kind of the tone. Whoever I asked that question to, it was that perspective. Yeah, I know it's a little dehumanizing. I'm not a big fan of the rhetoric all the time, but, but this, but that. That was the best answer I got. So around this stuff, did was there much discussion that you heard of, well, should we be talking about it this way? I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but uh, also especially uh, fighting for America and the intensity with the, which they viewed these. I mean, the stakes are could not be higher almost. Totally. Uh, and did you hear any discussion about, well, you know, we have to be 
true to the Great Commission, the gospel. And if we sacrifice our, if that means sacrificing ourselves, so be it. Or was the focus just on winning in this life? Well, from what I could gather, broadly speaking, that is what the Great Commission is. It's winning the soul of America. It's winning the nation for God. I mean, that that's how they, they really, it's kind of one and the same for them. Uh, the Gospel Commission is inherently political. Now, this is what's so interesting to me. I've noticed a big shift in, 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 in some of these spaces uh, from just preach the gospel, don't get political, to no, 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 the gospel demands that we get political. And let me just say, in my view, a hearty amen. I, I also agree with that. However, uh, a couple of years ago, if people said that they were then politicizing the gospel, they were they were in danger of losing the true gospel. Now, all of a sudden, that Christian nationalism has really re-emboldened this idea. Now, all of a sudden, it's biblical. They really have created their own version of what they might call social justice, even though they wouldn't call it that, right? And that's like their new theology that is 101 central to being a Christian. Uh, but of course, if you advocate for policies that are not in line with them, then you're a heretic, then you're not a true Christian, then you're a liberal. So it's interesting to watch how this space used to really be pretty, obviously they voted a certain way, but the but but the level of rhetoric, the level of language of really making far-right politics and their version of Jesus, one and the same, has become really something to behold. I mean, it's it's pretty much, it was inseparable, at least at this event. I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's easy to look back through American history and see, and, and other countries as well, I mean, the abolitionist movement, the civil rights movement, the, the churches that were involved in that, I mean, they certainly believed that, yeah, you, gospel is politics. Uh, politics are it flow from our, our following of, of Jesus, and that's what we were called to do, put that into to action. It is interesting, though, that yeah, that shift within this area of ev- conservative evangelicalism has really seemed to occur as they felt their influence and uh, position in America kind of slip somewhat. Yes. And, and that's why even as new evangelicals, we're very careful not to say that being political is necessarily wrong or unchristlike. I, I don't think that at all. But how we advocate for policies, what we're advocating for, I think that's where we can get in some dangerous territory. And Christian nationalism consistently advocates for itself and its own privilege at the expense of everyone else. So that's why I say we have a problem or, or, or we're concerned about Christian nationalism, not about, about Christians being involved in the political process. There's a difference there, for sure. And I think what I saw a lot of at this event was was this, this reinforcement of to be Christian is to resist what they call tyranny, which they always tie back to the COVID lockdowns. The COVID lockdowns were tyrannical. Eric Metaxas ties that back to Nazi Germany, and therefore tyrants should be resisted. So that's how they kind of get there. It's like, we know what happens when the government gets quote unquote tyrannical. Sean Foyt in one of his breakout sessions with Rob McCoy um, and Samuel Say, which is a whole different discussion we should talk about later on. Um, you know, he he he's a master articulator of tying this together and making it seem like during COVID lockdowns, only the church was targeted, which of course is not true. Everyone had to shut down at some point, um, you know, whether it's football games at one point or it's it's mosques and, and synagogues and churches, but they really have done a great job spinning this narrative that 
that the government was tyrannical for really in, enacting safety protocols that, that our country and other countries have enacted before during pandemics, by the way. This is not new, right? But all of a sudden, because this happened to them and their way of doing church was infringed upon, that gave them almost the extra justification to say, well, now that we deem that tyrannical, we have an obligation to resist them because our theology says that that resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. That's kind of how they thread that needle. And that was reinforced all throughout the event to different levels, depending on if it was a more political person like Trump Jr. speaking, who maybe wasn't that deep in the theology, or someone like Ali Stuckey, who was incredibly, uh, quote unquote, theological in her presentation. Uh, how so? Well, Ali Stuckey in her talk um, on the big stage, and you can watch it, she bolstered her positions in the idea that her interpretation of the Bible, what she would say is just God's word, is is the center for all of their ethics. So God is the one who who says, you know, what marriage is. He's he says what what life is or when life begins. So she her speech was much more about how God is really clear on these topics, and Ali is just saying what God says. But Trump Jr., his speech is much more political with a little bit of God thrown in there, right? So like the foundation of his speech is the politics of Trump, and Ali's speech is more the theology that's rooted in those politics. But just but you don't mean that she was actually going into like theological principles or arguments, but just referencing, saying, well, this is what God said. Well, I, mean, it wasn't I would saying say, like, yeah. well, as the Justinians believe, and well, right. Applied, I mean, like, if you <laughs> yeah. read the early church fathers, if you are follower of <laughs> origin, that is true. But 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 in Ali's case in particular, I would say even Charlie to a degree, but really Ali, she at least in her podcast, she handles a lot of topics in the Christian world. And a lot of her yeah. perspective is, is this biblical? So that's kind of like her foundation. Now, yes, it wasn't a, a, a deep dive on on, on on ethics through through a Christian historian lens or anything, but she definitely uses church language as a primary foundation to justify how she gets her politics. I would yeah. say Trump Jr. is kind of the opposite. He uses his politics and then throws in some God to make sure that, that he doesn't lose the base too much. <laughs> Got it. Speak to your audience. Uh, no, I, th I think Ali Beth, Beth Stuckey is one of these people you certainly can put in the category of kind of popularizing theology, perhaps. That yeah. you know, you go listen to somebody like uh, maybe Luke Barnett, Doug, Doug Wilson, some of those people. They they will talk about the theology and they will reference you know the big theological principles and the MDiv kind of concepts, um, but they're talk. That's not stuff that you know uh, casual listeners are going to to get into. And Ali Bestucky, I think, really is one of the kind of a popularizer, sort of uh, just speaking to a broader audience. Uh, yeah, and, and Ali a, based on some theological concepts, just not at that MDiv level. Ali is the pop level Calvinist in these spaces. You know, she's very reformed, very John MacArthur-ish, very Calvinist in her thinking and in her theology. But of course, she uses the language of God's word is clear. The Bible says, yeah. uh, you know, which is a whole different can of worms. But yes, I mean, that, that definitely I think is true. So did you notice any, did you feel like there's a, a big difference between rank, talking with rank and file people and their how they felt about this, their views, uh, and the you know, headliners, the people with the personalities. Um, 
and you know around any sense of difference of views or level of comfort buy-in well this honestly dan like this one i i'm i'm like torn on there's a couple of different ways i thought about this so there was 10,800 people there that's a lot of people um and certainly not everyone's going to have the same level of whatever it is yeah. i met a few people who were just at the event, had really no major connection to it. They seem like they are just in that world. That's what they believe. It's pretty clear. The end. You know, I don't think they have much knowledge about it, evangelical history or, or even a, a huge depth of the Bible or even politics for that matter. Those people definitely existed. Then you have the people who are like are, are the personalities. So I saw people like James Lindsay, who's a ma- massive agnostic atheist in this space. He was there. You have people like, of course, Charlie Kirk. You have Rob McCoy. He's he's one of the biggest pastors in this space. Luke Barnett, and they're kind of in the mix of all this, doing podcasts right in front of you at, at maybe booth A or booth B, and you can listen in on that, and, and then you can talk to them. They certainly reinforce a lot of this language. And then you have like like the A-listers, right? So maybe those are the B-listers. Then you have like the Ali Suckies, the Matt Walshes, the Trump Juniors, etc. And they are in that big auditorium speaking to thousands. They certainly like know at least what they're doing. I think you have the group that's the A-listers. They know what they're doing. They, they, they know what they're drawing on. Then you have this, this B-list space that could be hit or miss. I think most know what they're doing, but I, I still don't think a lot of them are super knowledgeable, or at least I should say they have a narrative of history that 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 really fits their ideology really well. There was this guy named, I think his name was Bill Federer. He's like a, oh, I yeah, guess, yeah. some kind of history. Yeah, he was there uh, in, in, in in this church breakout session. And that guy for 15, went for 15 minutes in a monologue from like the founding of the country to now and why we're a, why we're a Christian country. And like his narrative, if you don't know any better, is very persuasive. You're like, whoa, this I didn't know that. This makes a lot of sense. And the whole crowd's cheering. They ended, they ended up giving him a standing ovation, right? So I think that's what feeds a lot of those people. So they have just enough quote unquote knowledge put in a certain context that kind of gives them the reinforcement of, yeah, we're standing on historical grounds without really an awareness of just how big this history is and how unfortunately many times in these spaces, it's a very specific reading of history with specific talking points that kind of paint a narrative that maybe isn't the full story. Yeah. And I appreciate it on your wrap up, you encouraging people, even people who agree with you to go out and read other sources and push their, push their views. Don't just parrot what, what is convenient to say, well, my views are backed up by historical fact. And if I'm really giving nuance to this conversation, I think we all have to acknowledge, mainly myself in this case, that you know I'm not a scholar, and so you do have people that you trust, right? You have academics that you look to where you say, I trust this person. Like for example, I'm a big fan of Andrew Seidel. He's a constitutional lawyer. He wrote the book The Founding Myth, you know, and he seems for me after reading a lot of his stuff and even talking to him on our own podcast, he seems like he has a pretty good working knowledge of American history that at least is is pretty big. This guy, Bill, I didn't really know much about him. I'm not even sure if he has his PhD or even a master's in history. So I don't always know who you're getting, but I do understand how as someone who is a lay person, not an academic, how we all do look to some kind of higher authority in these spaces to trust that what we're getting is accurate. So a lot of this can, I think a lot of this, what I would call propaganda in these spaces plays off of that, right? The average Joe who took four days off to come to this event is going to go back home to his small business or maybe, or maybe back to his employer. And it's not steeped in this stuff. So 
So, so Bill or whoever it is gives them the narrative. They go, great. Bill's a trusted authority figure in this. He's some kind of scholar in my mind. Therefore, what he's telling me is true history. And Andrew Seidel, he's the liberal telling the propaganda, right? So I think that hopefully the audience can understand how, how tricky these things can get once you start realizing that we all have people that we would appeal to in some way, shape, or form because we're not all academics with, with, with PhDs. It's just, we're just not, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, Bill Federer is certainly somebody who's been on uh, – Charlie Kirk has had him on uh, various events over the past years. And, I mean, almost to the point – I'm this is probably overstating it somewhat, but he's almost like – it seems like he's the kind of de facto historian of the turning point movement – to some degree. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Kirk certainly puts a lot of, certainly uh, applauds his um, his narrative on American history. So I'm not surprised to hear that he was there. It is interesting to, that the yeah, the rank and file, um, excuse me. <clears throat> really quick, Dan, why, really quick, just so you know, I looked it up. Bill Federer, according to Wikipedia, he has a degree in accounting business administration, and he's written 20 books, including George Washington Carver, His Life and Faith in His Own Words. So so I, I'm not trying to say like, oh, the people we talk to are definitely you know the, the true ones, but I'm saying, you know, Andrew, in this case I just used, is a constitutional lawyer who studied this for a living and, and professionally. William has a degree in accounting and business administration, but yet rose through these ranks because he's a really effective communicator, right? And able to tell these, these stories really well. And I think that's one thing we, we, we can't underestimate. I hear a lot of people, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this thought just mm-hmm. came to me. I think, I think it's important here. I think a lot of people, they downplay these spaces. Oh, those they're stupid. They're morons, which first off is dehumanizing, which we should not be doing. But number two, I think you underestimate how gifted these people are at speaking. I watched Rob McCoy speak. I watched Sean Foyt speak. They are good communicators. They say things that, again, on the surface, sound convincing. They, that If you didn't know any better, you might say, wow, well, if that's what's going on, that is crazy. So we, we really can't underestimate that one of the reasons why this stuff is so effective is because the people who are seen as leaders are really gifted at what they do, whether they use it for good or for bad or, or, or it's true or not is besides the point. It's a narrative that, 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 that is sold and people buy it often. Yeah, no, that's certainly true. In walking around and experiencing this event, did you get a sense that, I mean, to some degree, this is an industry, as much as it's it's a movement, and you could even, depending on how cynical you are, you might say that it's an industry first before a movement. I mean, what was your sense on that? There's there's a lot of there's the Turning Point Academy. Uh, there's you know Sean Foyt selling albums, people Bill Federer selling books. Everybody, it seems like most of the people speaking also have something to sell. Yes, which I think is true in any space that, that's like this, right? Because how do speakers make a living? Usually they sell books as part of what they do. However, I think one thing that that maybe was surprising that I should have mentioned earlier is that it's clear there people in these spaces are committed to building what's called a parallel economy. So payment processors, cell phone providers, uh, even potential banking, you know, that's all being built and advertised in the exhibit hall. So, hey, you don't like PayPal because they're too quote unquote woke or, or because they can cancel you at any time? Revere payments. We'll never do that to you. You should sign up with us. So it's hard to know if it's a, a principled company 
trying to get business or if it's a business, you know, trying to use that language to, 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 to gain more, more business. But certainly there's a sense of industry there for sure. I mean, Turning Point USA in 2020 recorded 53 mil- or $55 million in donations in one year, right? That's a lot of money. And, and they are incredibly networked. This, this, this movement, whatever you want to call it, is a networked movement. So there's a difference between being affiliated and being networked. The network stuff is much more under the radar. You might not see that Sean Foyt hang, you know, is a, is a, is an actual member of the Turning Point USA movement. But that doesn't mean that, that he's not talking to Charlie Kirk or that he's not networking with people in those spaces, right? So, I mean, Turning Point has what they call contributors, but they run that pretty loosely where, you know, hey, if you want to contribute, that's fine. We're not going to police you or you, you don't have to agree to some kind of core statement. You just write this thing here or there and we'll call it a day. So, I would say there's definitely a good sense of industry here for sure. Um, but more than that, it's really about building a very insular um, um, network of people that all kind of keep everything in house. You want news? Well, there's Flashpoint. Uh, you know, there's OAN. You want payment processing? There's Revere. You want cell phone service? Here's that. You want you want you want publishing? There's there was a a, a black owned publisher. Um, what was it called? Um, I have it somewhere here, but there was a publisher, you know, saying, here you go. We'll publish through you. I mean, even looking through some of my pamphlets, I have things like, uh, here's total news, all the news on the net all the time. You can get your news from there, et cetera. So definitely a sense of industry and definitely a sense of building a lot of building industry for sure. And just to clarify, when you say contributors, you're talking about written content, not Financial contributors. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, they are content uh, contributors for sure. So it's interesting that what you're describing, because I mean, this it, again, this seems like there's this big dichotomy between uh, they're creating this separate world, uh, which you know, okay, so you're withdrawing from mainstream America, and yet the language is all about fighting for mainstream America. So I mean, if you aren't in the space, how do you? How do you do that? Okay. This is my speculation here. I don't have any evidence of this. But when you think about like the American redoubt movement right up in the Pacific Northwest, which essentially says, hey, let's build an alternate economy so when America goes down the shitter, we can take over. I think it's that kind of vibe of like, hey – America under Democrat leadership is one day going to crumble um, or will get so corrupt that us patriots have to actually do something. But for us to do that, we have to have the infrastructure in place to handle our payments, to handle our cell phones, to handle our banking, to handle our, our news. So let's build that infrastructure. So one day, and again, this is speculation. I heard no, well, besides one time, we'll get into that. I heard no talk of potential violence. Okay. Or like we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to get violent. I didn't hear any talk about that besides one potential instance, which we can get into later on. Um, so I, I'm not saying that, that underneath it all, they're like, Hey, you know, let's get ready to go to war. But I think there's a sense of once the government goes too far and we have justification, we'll be ready to roll. You know, once the economy gets so bad that people are ready for an American resurgence, we'll be the, we'll be ready to kind of take mm-hmm. that power. That's kind of the vibe that I got. And they have their politicians who are doing that, right? You have the Lauren Boeberts, um, the the Trump Juniors, the Josh Hawleys who were there, who, are, who are, are, are like the celebrities there. So they're already in politics. And then you have this whole network underneath of it that is promoting those people uh, to a specific audience. So when everything goes how they think it's going to go, they can take over um, either by, by just – pure need or something happens where they feel like, okay, the true patriots have to rise up and take back the country. Yeah. 
Interesting. Uh, that's almost like a shadow government. Uh, it has and- that vibe to it. And when you when you think about that and the level of propaganda that they espouse politically, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Carrie Lake, for example, was there. First off, she spoke an hour and a half past her a lot of time. Um, wow. And her big thing was election fraud. You know, I, I, I didn't lose. The election was stolen. We're submitting, you know, um, we're submitting a, a lawsuit. Now, every, as of this recording, everything is dismissed completely. I mean, the, the, the courts threw it out. But now Carrie is claiming that, like, the judge was corrupt, which is, again, just more propaganda. So so they certainly operate in this shadow government type of, of attitude where they really have created – and I, I don't want to speak too bluntly and, and too – Maybe um, harshly, but they really have seemed to create their own reality. Um, I heard things about about the election being stolen often. People wearing Trump one hats everywhere that I, that I saw or, or, or looked. Um, you know, the vaccine killed more people than it saved. I asked someone that. I said, "Do you think the vaccine did more harm than good?" Yes. Uh, you know, so they really have created th- this world where alternative facts are the name of the game, and they are incredibly effective at espousing those facts to people. One example of this. I met someone who had no real context for Turning Point America. His girlfriend brought him. Really nice guy. We hung out the whole week. I was there. Nice, nice dude. I don't want to give too many details away because I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to give away who he is. But he he's an athlete of sorts, you know, and pretty high level. And by the third night, I, I we became Instagram uh, friends. I saw him on Instagram. Now you can do these little like away messages on Instagram. I hate them; they're horrible. But, but you can see like people's away messages on like your 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 messaging side of things. And one of his away messages was how you know pretty much the government's coming for the kids, and we have to protect the children. So within three days of him not really knowing much, he's already espousing huh. the rhetoric, right? So so it's incredibly effective rhetoric that that latches onto people, and they go, "Oh, I assume this is true." Therefore, yeah, we have to save the kids. Groomers have got to go. Boom! I'm going to post it. That's just, I think, one example of how effective, um, you know, uh, the the language really is. Yeah. So groomers, and I, I do want to put a pin in that remark about violence and come back yeah. to that. Talk about you know the war language you heard. But uh, so groomers, this is one thing I certainly wanted to get into. You said that you didn't really hear CRT that much, and so I, and I've. In listening to the podcast that I follow, uh, conservative evangelical uh, content that I follow, I've heard the same thing. The CRT really has declined in the past few years. Um, and when it really, outside, especially outside of like just vague references or talking about it in education, and groomers really does seem to be kind of the the topic of, of the time now. I... Curious what you know what your takeaway was that about that? Was that is this just kind of is CRT getting eclipsed? Um, but also in following up on that, yeah, you know, what is what do you think the the significance of that is? Because as you said in your wrap-up video, hey, look, if somebody's gonna do something to my kids, like that, yeah, we all want to protect our children. I want to protect my children, you want to protect yours. So is it that groomers is more effective, you think? Or what uh, I know I kind of threw a couple of questions at you there. Um, but so first, do you think groomers has eclipsed CRT? Yes. I mean, it, it's emphatic. I mean, again, Gays Against Groomers is an actual group who had an actual booth at this event. They're online. They have a lot of followers. There are, there are, I mean, there's, and, and listen, I, I think if we're going to be, if I'm going to be as fair as I know how to be, okay, there is a lot of talk too about stopping child trafficking. 
in, in these spaces. And that is good. Let me just say that. Yeah. Any chance real to stop traffic, children? Child from, yeah, real trafficking. Child I mean, trafficking. Yeah. In fact, the group that invited me, they actually are not, they're not political at all. In fact, their team was like, why are we here? We hate being here. Honestly, that, that was a real conversation I had because they actually work with governments all over the world to stop legitimate human trafficking of women and children. My hats off to them. They do. They've been to Iraq when ISIS was was at the peak of their control and in, in, uh, in, in was a uh, Mosul is that right is that how you say the name and and they were there with working with Iraqi police to get kids out of that area from being trafficked I mean legitimate doing good work people so that's great but yes this groomer rhetoric has expanded that now to public education drag queens they're all grooming your kids and that was definitely like the that was that was the front and center talking point in these spaces, way more than CRT. I heard CRT here and there. There was a group called No Left Turn. They're trying to stop education, left wing education in America, and they they mentioned CRT along uh, 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 among their laundry list of things that they're trying to stop. But all of their they they have these like books that, that you can look at that are, a, are actual books in are being taught to kids. They were all ones about sex. They were all sex ed, ed books. There was mm. no book about critical race theory there, right? So CRT is just another. It's another block in the tower, but now there's new blocks being laid that are kind of fresh and new and the hot button topic to talk about. So uh, why do you have any thought or get any insight into why groomers become uh, kind of front and center, at least among those blocks? Well, if, I, if I'm putting things in the context of my own knowledge of history, not that it's anything amazing or, or anything to celebrate or write home about, but there is a theme of children. You know, satanic panic, they're coming for the kids. Uh, the liberal agenda, the gay agenda, the queer agenda, they're coming for the kids. It, it tends to always be around protecting children. And I think the reason why is because it's a very natural universal concept for 99.9% of parents, right? Of like, yes, I want to protect my kids. And so I think that's why, right? So if you can tell people that there are people in the public school system or at, at the library who are trying to sexually groom your children or to prey upon them, God knows what that even means. I'm not aware of one child that has been sexually abused during drag queen story hour, right? Because parents are present. It's a group setting. I know of no such example. I know plenty of examples of evangelical pastors this year alone who have been either put in prison or arrested for trying to solicit minors or 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 or, or harboring child abuse material, right? So I don't understand how that breaks down, but that is the talking point because the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids. Again, it's a good thing that I think parents are naturally concerned about exploited for power and control of government, et cetera. Hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, uh, just, I, I I really wish if I wish that they were as sincere as they claim because, and that's by the way, that's one of the sorry, reasons you, why, you wish what I wish they were as sincere as they claim because if they were really looking for kids who are being groomed, we can give you people in churches, pastors who are doing that. They they don't bring it up. Instead, they manufacture largely these out of context clips or these things about drag queens. So I think it's it's. Protect kids is the pretense, but the reality is persecute a marginalized community and harm them as much as possible is, is the fruit, is the fruit. Yeah, so I mean, you didn't even hear any references to, say, like the Catholic Church or other instances of – I mean, I don't know how they feel about Boy Scouts in general, but um, any no. instances of well-documented sexual predation, abuse, systematic you know, uh, victimization of children. Not 
one. Now, I, not even public school examples. Now, listen, the public school system certainly has many examples of kids who have been abused by teachers, and that's a bad thing. The solution, I would think, would be to make the school system safer. Their solution is to destroy the school system. That's the difference. But even then, I, I didn't hear of any specific examples, even in the public school system, of this happening, right? So, yeah, I, I heard no examples anywhere, um, let alone in the Catholic or evangelical church. I mean, forget it. And don't forget, I mean, Ali Stuckey, when the John MacArthur story came out that he had three different pedophiles on his staff at one point, uh, she honestly came out and protected him. I mean, we, we, we covered this on our podcast and in our reels. She essentially said, like, he's done so much for the gospel. Uh, that was kind of her take, and, and we don't have all the facts, so she's not going to comment on it, which is, of course, just such malarkey. But that that's kind of the posture that they take. So they use this rhetoric of protecting kids. They use the rhetoric of grooming, but they don't actually, like, address real actual grooming happening in their own spaces. I mean, Matt Gates, who just got charges dropped, but his his buddy got arrested for child sex trafficking. Uh, he was there. He was like a celebrity there. So I, I, I it, it escapes me to, to, to see how this happens, right? It, it blows me away. Hmm. What was his friend's name? I'm looking it up. So I have the actual facts here. Um, friend. Uh, well, sorry, I didn't mean to sl- slow us down there, sidetrack us, but uh, here it's right here. Matt Gates' friend sentenced to 11 years in prison on sex crimes. A former Seminole County tax collector Joel Greenberg's uh, arrest led to a federal probe into U.S. Representative Matt Gates. As far as I know, the charges were dropped against Matt, uh, but this guy just got sentenced to 11 years in prison for sex trafficking of a minor. Hmm. So, anyway. And it's- so, and you didn't hear anything different in talking to just attendees. It doesn't sound like they were saying, you know, we'd like to hear more about practical, like, solutions. Like, how do we deal with, you know, there there have been there widespread cases of um, yeah, uh, victimized sexual abuse in schools. Not to say that it's the norm at all. Don't want to make want to be clear that we're not trying to scare people about it, but it has happened, and there are things that can be done, um, and hopefully are being done. But I mean, so people weren't the just attendees. You weren't hearing from them saying, "Hey, we want more specifics. Let's talk about you know, how do we actually pre- prevent these." They were happy to talk about drag queen storybook hour or what have you. Yeah, I mean, listen, what I. It, there's 10,000 people on running around like a yeah. maniac. I didn't have a lot of long-term, long-form conversations. Um, but that that wasn't – I mean, I talked to a lot of vendors. I talked to a lot of exhibitors. I talked to as many people as I could at lunch, at dinner. I mean, I really I, – I tried to eat – I ate every meal out of my hotel room, okay, trying just to sit in and meet people and kind of network through those conversations. So I'm not saying I had long-form conversations with everyone, but I talked to a lot of people. And that was never brought up. It was never kind of like talked about. Um it just wasn't a thing. Uh, it seems like like this um, event was really designed to kind of puff up the troops. You know, hoorah. Like, yes, okay, here's our calling card. Here's what we're circling the wagons around, so to speak. And now we're going to go fight the libs because they're trying to destroy America through these things. Uh, that was kind of the, the overall sense, big picture. So what were the marching orders that the speakers were giving to people? Run for government. Oh my gosh, I heard that all the time. Take over your school boards, take over local... Mother's Day is coming. And if you don't get mom the perfect gift, she won't be angry, just disappointed. 
So go with drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Send favorites near, far, or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Are you looking to save time and money earning your college degree? Then join thousands of others who earn online college credits with Study.com. Our online courses are self-paced and offer transferable credit that's widely accepted by colleges and universities across the country. Plus, you can start right now. We partner with over 1,500 colleges and universities to make it easy for you to transfer your Study.com credits and get closer to completing your degree. Visit Study.com today to learn more about our affordable and flexible online college courses and get the degree you need to succeed in today's competitive job market. Go to Study.com CX and use coupon code SAVER to get 30% off your first month. Study.com, the smarter, faster way to earn college credit. Study.com CX, coupon code SAVER to get 30% off your first month. Now that you've taken on that big job, you shouldn't have to settle for the big box. You've earned a trip to Northern Tool, and we're ready for the details. We know all about the little things that make the biggest difference. Maybe that's why they call us a problem solver's paradise. From pressure washers to power tools, pallet jacks to push carts, Northern Tool and Equipment carries the brands you depend on, like North Star, DeWalt, Milwaukee, and Strongway. We're made for this. Come see us in-store or shop online at northerntool.com. Elections, run for your local county. The way we, the way we, the way we change America is by people running, run, 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 run. They even had a a Gen Z, um, you know, um, a breakout session for uh, featuring two, I think, different Gen Z um, politicians who who ran in their local legislators uh, or, or or local elections, and I, I believe both of them won. So that was a massive push. Like I, I think we underestimate how many people in these spaces are running for school board, you know, um, state level legislator, uh, 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 whatever it's called. Um, yeah. Let, let legislators. Legislature. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, et cetera. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm like, it's not legislations. Um, that was a humongous push. The other push was, was taking over your churches. Another big push. Hmm. Uh, there was, uh, there was a sense from Sean Foy and others of, you know, when COVID happened and we and we fought tyranny, the church wasn't behind us. There's a lot of that kind of talk. Like, 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 like almost they really painted themselves as the victims of a massive persecution, right? Like, oh, we lost so much. We lost everything. We have to take the church back. We have to fight the church. Someone even asked, like, how do I talk to my pastor about this? That was a question that was asked during the breakout panel. So definitely a sense of like, we have to take ground in the church. The church has gotten soft. The church has gotten uh, too apolitical. The church is not taking sides. The church is not waking up. The church is not standing for truth. It, it's it's too soft, et cetera. That was another big, big talking point in these spaces. So it's interesting that they're withdrawing from the economy, from uh, media, but the one area that they are really saying engage, engage, engage is the political system. Yes, um, that part's for sure. It's hard to say. I mean, I, yes. I don't mean to overtake the withdrawal. No, no, but- not, not at all. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to paint paint it as honestly as I've seen it uh, there anyway. Um 
there's definitely a sense of takeover, whatever you can, but also a sense of we're victims and, you know, culture hates us. So let's start our own thing. Like these are, these are just two simultaneous thoughts that just seem to coexist in these spaces. Um, so like, like they, there was a whole session on canceled. Uh, these three people who got quote unquote canceled for different reasons. They're all pretty much now borderline celebrities in these spaces. Uh, but, but they lost so much, uh, because they wouldn't shut down during the pandemic or they wouldn't post, you know, a black square on social media, or they were a journalist that, that covered Antifa and apparently got persecuted for it. Um, and now they're all celebrities in these spaces. One thing I will mention, and I, I mentioned this in, in my recap video, one of the speakers mentioned death threats that, that, that she got in her DMs and also messages to go ahead and kill herself. And that part really made me upset. Like I, I was, I, that broke my heart, frankly. Um, and I, I think that regardless of who you are, regardless of quote unquote, what side you land on, on the political spectrum, threats of violence or telling people to kill themselves, uh, there should be like universal agreement that that is a bad bad thing. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. Those are people on the other, on the other end of it. You know, and that that's someone who read that they had to go through therapy to kind of get over it. They said, and so I think that that's important to mention here. Like dehumanization of the other always leads to violence and threats of violence is just has no place. So that, that's important to recognize, but yeah, uh, I would say it's a simultaneous coexistence of we are conquering and we are victors through Christ, but also we are persecuted all the time and the world hates us. So that only that only reinforces that we're doing the right thing. So get on your battle armor. Totally. Totally. Get on the battle armor. 100 100%. Uh, a lot of war language here. A ton of war language. Whether it was spiritualized or or it was politicized, a ton. You know, we have to we have to stop the invasion. There's a battle to win. Uh, real men have to step up and, and lead their families, you know, and, and that kind of vibe was just prevalent throughout the event. Yeah, I know you and I, and, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are all familiar with, we've heard probably increasingly, but a disturbing number, but certainly a minority uh, in terms of occurrence, references to people saying, look, I don't know, eventually this might, there might be a real civil war, you know, kind of not saying we need to go out and commit violence now, but it does seem like there is a growing number of references, people willing to say this might turn violent at some point, which is, I think, for anybody disturbing. It sounds like from what from what you experienced, though, the language was metaphorical, but you did mention there was one ex- exception. So this is why I said it, it might be seen that way. I, I'm not sure if I would say it was a call for violence, but here's what I will tell you. And I, I don't know who these people were. So this is my, my, my best guess. I was sitting in a cafeteria kind of by myself. There were two guys working at a table. Someone came over. I'm fairly sure they all worked for Turning Point, but I'm not 100% sure. I, I can't say emphatically that, that they did. And the, this woman came over to these two guys and what she was talking about how Sean Foyt is doing this this uh, worship at the Capitol tour. They're going to every U.S. Capitol in America to do these like worship events. Which, by the way, if you haven't yet, I recommend checking out the Straight White American Jesus's uh, series on Sean Foyt and the Charismatic New Apostolic Reformation because it goes into a lot of what those worship services actually are. But I digress. And she went to the guy and, and the guy said, how can I help you? And she said something to the effect of like, I need people. I need a ton of people at these events. And I wrote down the actual quote. She said, I want, we want these capital events to be so chaotic that, 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 that people are mad, of, uh, mad, are mad at us. They want the police to tell them to shut it down. 
So that's what she's told. She told this guy. She wants that many people there. She wants it chaotic. She wants the police to have to tell them to shut it down. Now, I thought I overheard that and I go, wow, like that is pretty intense, you know, to, to say out loud to someone, I want that many people there. We're, we're the police who are, who are there, who are there to protect us are telling us to shut it down. Now, does that mean that they want that to happen so they can spin it? So they could say, look, the government shut us down. I don't know. Based on previous situations and evidence, I would not be surprised, but that is truly just my speculation. I don't have hard proof of that. But that that line definitely made me a little concerned. And then during one of the breakout sessions, one of the speakers said that 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 total peace is either won through total control or through bloodshed. <laughs> and I went, wow, that's also pretty uh, you know intense language here. Um, I don't know what that means, but there's certainly... Well, let's put it this way, Dan. I mean, we, we had an insurrection. It's going to be almost two years ago where there was actual violence in the, in the name of this type of rhetoric. So while certainly yeah. not overtly violent in in, in the labels uh, all the time, there were enough drips and drabs and also enough things said on the line where you couldn't take it either way where you're like, yeah, I can see how an insurrection happened. You know, when you really believe that, that, that the evil satanic Democrats have taken over the country and the deep states trying to steal the election and that, and that the true patriots have to rise up and take back the country, what else can it mean besides some kind of physical intervention, right? So I think when you couple that with, with statements like this, you know, that, hey, we want the capital worship events to be so chaotic that, that they're mad at us and that police tell us to shut it down, I think we're certainly on that path more and more that lead to some kind of physical altercation. Hmm. Well, uh, sorry, that's <laughs> taking a moment to let that sink in. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Did you get the sense, though, that one thing I, I'm trying to figure out about this and is – is this a growing movement or the frustrations of a movement in decline that's becoming more emboldened, more polarized as it as its base shrinks? According, its, yeah, according to Andrew Whitehead, sociologist, he says that it's overall it's shrinking. Right. But I think what that also means, and I think he talks about this too, along with Samuel Perry, that that the remnant only becomes more polarized and more extreme, which I think is kind of what we're seeing, right? Yeah, I mean, sorry, I, I, you know. I meant that in like the context of the how they're thinking about it at the event. Oh no, no, they see it as like a growing movement for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the data says it's shrinking, but they think that they are taking territory, that they are expanding, that, you know, the church is waking up, that that America's waking up, uh, et cetera. Uh, I didn't hear any talk. Besides, they, they did talk about, about the midterms and how they, they lost that battle. But a lot of those big name speakers, Trump Jr., et cetera, were really, were really there to kind of rile up the base, you know, to really fight harder than ever to take back America. Um, it wasn't really about, hey, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It was – that's a problem. Democrats are on they're on the march. They're strong, but we're stronger because we have God on our side. It was that kind of vibe. Yeah. It's interesting to hear the the fight within the church. Uh, I mean, how can you go into that a little bit that people saying the church wasn't behind us? But I think that might be surprising to some listeners, at least people who aren't enmeshed in this world. So can you go into that a little bit and kind of how, what they were talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's surprising to me too because I, th- you know, when Sean Foyt said that, and then he said that the pandemic was a gift to kind of wake the church up. Okay, I was like, okay, Sean, like a million people died, but all right. 
I, I thought to myself, like, Sean really thinks that he's a victim of all this. Yet he raised $5 million through 2020. He toured America doing these worship protests with no government intervention, like no actual persecution from the government. He he was at he was at last year's Super Bowl for free. He met President Trump many times. Like, where's the persecution, Sean? Like, where is it? I think from his vantage point, maybe he had some churches that were networked with him that 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 dropped their support for him because they said, Sean, like, what are you doing? It's a pandemic. Um, it's not unreasonable to think about, about about organizing the church differently when we can get our neighbors sick and potentially kill them. And I think for Sean, his mentality is no, like, you know, the government doesn't dictate when we worship, only God does. And my theology says that we have to have these mass gatherings whenever we say we need to. One thing that was interesting, and this I think just shows how effective the rhetoric is, Sean made a comment that that he goes, you know, a lot of the churches that 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 dropped my support, dropped support for me, they celebrated when we broke the law in other countries for the gospel, but they essentially shunned me when, when we broke the law for the gospel in America. Kind of painting mm-hmm. this this ideal or the situation that, you know, um the underground church in China. Uh, that's okay uh, to to do that and to break China's law, but you know, um, in America, the lockdowns just targeted the church, I guess, in Sean's mind, and were telling him that he couldn't worship, which again isn't even the case. They were simply putting parameters on how many people at one time could do that, right? But for Sean, it's one and the same. There, there's no nuance. There's no context that makes this different. It's just. I don't get it. I couldn't. I can break the law in this other country where they actually are targeting specifically Christians or Muslims or different religions that aren't the state religion. But in America, during a pandemic that killed one point one million people, and I wouldn't submit to government mandates that 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 for for those people was just like too far. So again, I just think like shows how they're thinking about this, right? I thought that was pretty telling. So I think for them. Any church that wouldn't get behind either the the unwavering Trump support or uh, resisting these COVID lockdowns because you know tyranny to them are part of the problem of churches that are not waking up to what really in their mind they kind of paint this parallel to Nazi Germany. You know they they really do. I mean Eric, one example of this friends is Eric Pentaxis's book, which I got a copy of at the event for free, called Letters uh, Letter to a Church. A lot of his book starts off with Nazi Germany. Uh, and, yeah. and how the church was did, didn't didn't do enough or wouldn't get political, and he ties that back into our moment here, which is honestly the book. There are moments where my jaw drops, and I go, Eric, you just described Trump, and you're saying that's the problem, but you're also telling us in this book to support Trump. Like it's so weird to hear. But anyway, I, I sell that because that's kind of like the parallel that they're drawing from. Yeah, no, I think uh, Metaxas wrote a biography of um, Bonhoeffer. Yeah. Yeah, who I think might also be a universalist. I'll have to double check that. But or like was a pseudo, like a soft universalist. Which it just I think it's just really Eric Metaxas was. No, I don't think he is. I mean, it's just it just no. seems very disingenuous to take these examples. Which, by the way, I mean, I, I've read a lot of literature and heard from some actual historians that that the church in Germany was, was actually quite complicit in 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 the Nazi regime. Um, you know, it, they weren't just standing by idly. A lot of them were actually a part of that. Uh, he uses that to paint a picture of like, therefore, Trump. Therefore, like, make America great again. Like, you know, it's 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 mind boggling for him to really think that like. If anyone was going to repeat some of the the travesties of what we saw, you know, during World War II, it's 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 who? It's Joe Biden? Like who? who I, I, that part to me was like a mind exploding moment. 
No, and I, I mean, just as an aside, I think uh, at any of us who are practicing Christians, it, uh, I think we should all go back and read about the, the church, the churches during uh, Nazi Germany, because it really should, there, for all of the Sophie Scholes and Diedrich Bonhoeffers, people who were moved by their moral clarity in following Jesus to oppose Nazism to the point um, of, you know, the White Rose Circle, like Sophie Scholl and her uh, fellows, um, you know, giving their lives, there were a lot who either cheered it or at least said, well, we don't want to anger the state, so we'll just go along with it, or even saw some, you know, they could benefit, thought they could benefit from some uh, alliance getting on board with it. Um, I think. Well, really as, quick, that's what's you know. so interesting here, right? Is like, that's, Eric says stuff like that, and then that's his excuse for not following COVID lockdowns. And you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's the parallel here? And listen, I don't personally, I don't like using Hitler or or the Nazi regime in comparison for a lot of reasons. One, because I don't know, I don't want to downplay the, the murdering of 6 million Jews, okay? Because we're not talking about that right now. That's that, that's its own thing. But because, because Eric brings this up, you know, it's like, Eric, I mean, if we're going to compare like Hitler to someone in our current like political system who wanted power, who tried, who used propaganda, who tried to maintain power, even though he was really outvoted, etc. I mean, we can find more similar parallels. If we're gonna, if we're gonna draw that comparison, which I don't want to do, but if you're gonna, like, dude, who do you really think here in this situation is is more like that, right? Like, like who do you really think? So I, I think that is telling because you're right. Eric would say because the church went along with the state. This stuff happened. Therefore, when the church in America follows lockdowns, you're doing the same thing. And it's like, but the difference, though, is not only is that one's a pandemic and one's not, but also what you're advocating for is also getting in bed with the state, (laughs) right? And so that way you can rule. That way you can stay in power and really silence all of your dissent. So anyway, I I digress on that point. But like that to me was very interesting to see. Yeah. And I certainly did not mean to endorse any... (laughs) take on that i just no for sure for sure challenging ourselves Uh, yes always so uh you this does actually there's one that kind of flows into one other thing i wanted to ask you about which was there is a lot of the definitions of what it means to be an orthodox christian uh and not i don't mean the like eastern orthodox but just a, a Orthodox Christian. Um, you, you had that clip in your wrap-up video of I forget the the Virgil Walker, saying, right? Thank you. Saying yeah, you can't you can't be pro-life. You can't vote for Democrats. You can't. You know, there's really no way to support Black Lives Matter and be a Christian. And and the the series about the New Apostolic Reformation and the Charismatic movement that um, Straightway Jesus has been doing, Straightway American Jesus. Uh, you know, there's. You've got Calvinists and New Apostolics who have very different views of what it means to be Christian, but are yet are able to get on board with each other while saying, you know, mainline Protestants aren't really Christian. Catholics aren't really Christians. And it seems like it's we've gotten to a point where there are some very unorthodox definitions of what they consider to be an Orthodox Christian. Like this is not about they're not like, hey, do you hold to the creeds? Right. Okay. Come on. Let's like let's find something we can do together. So, yes. I mean, was 
did you see that play out at all in this? Was there, um, did you get any sense of it or was that just kind of background? Okay. Here's my thought on that. I've actually been thinking about, about this a lot because in that, that church and culture breakout session, it was Sean Foyt, who's definitely part of like that new apostolic reformation movement, which is the seven mountain mandate kind of vibe that we as Christians are, are called to take over all seven mountains of, of influence. Then you have Samuel Say, who's on that panel with him. And Samuel Say is a very Calvinist reformed dude. Think more of like Vody Bakum, John MacArthur, you know, way different than Sean. And here they are on the same panel. And I do think that what I think what Turning Point Faith is trying to do is trying to be that umbrella that both of those theologies can exist under for the greater good of fighting abortion or fighting uh, queer marriage or fighting the left, the, the, you know, the, the liberal agenda, so to speak, because that's the only way I can make sense of it. Because Samuel Say and Sean Foyt, I mean, I have found in my experience, I'm not saying this is true for everyone, that that reformed Calvinist types are a little more militant about who's a Christian or not, like what's the real gospel or not. And I would think someone like Samuel would be like, well, I'm not talking to Sean, you know, like he believes that women can be pastors. He believes in speaking in tongues and healing and the prophetic uh, and, and, and all this stuff. And that's all a hearty. No, no, no. I mean, Sean flirts with like some of the more prosperity gospel type of theology. I would think growing up as a Calvinist and hearing those, you know, people so militant about, about protecting the true gospel, think the documentary um, American Gospel done by, I think, Costi Hinn and, and, and that whole movement, really critiquing the prosperity gospel movement, right? They're militant about it. But all of a sudden now, I'm watching both of them on the stage interacting. And I'm like, and whoa, this is interesting. This is fascinating. So certainly I think there's a, a shift happening where they're almost kind of looking and saying, okay, listen, we disagree on theology, which we would argue is the most important thing. But now there's a more important thing. It's being pro-life. It's fighting queer marriage. It's fighting grooming. So why don't we kind of spit shake on it, right? And say truths for now, and let's just fight the liberal agenda. And I think Turning Point Faith is trying to be one of those umbrellas um, in that space, which is interesting to me. And I think eventually what I'm waiting for is for the more RJ Rush Dooney, you know, Doug Wilson type, right, of Christian nationalists and the Sean Foy Christian nationalists to start fighting about what is really God's moral law, what is re- who's really called to take over the nation, right? Like, like which group? And then you have the Nick Fuentes, which is a group, which is the more Catholic nationalists. They're going to get in there at some point too. So at some point you're going to see a three-way battle for, no, God says that we're the chosen people. No, God says we're the chosen people. No, no, no. God says the Catholics are the chosen people. So I'm kind of waiting for that moment, right? Of like, well, okay, guys, you all say that that God has ordained you to take dominion of the country. So which one is it? You know, is Sean Foyt the one in charge here? Is it, is it Doug Wilson? Which which flavor of this fundamental fundamentalist nationalism is is God ordained? Because you're all saying the same thing. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point that so far that really they haven't had any falling outs, major falling outs, at least in terms of the movement. It's not it's a Christian nationalism in the sense that we're looking at it now is its prominence in the political side of things is is newer, right? Uh, yeah. So maybe just give it time. But yeah, they've done a pretty good job of putting that stuff aside so far. Yeah. So you know, you I you mentioned Kim Walker Smith. Mm. I'm just curious, like, how did that? So you reached out to her, at, or can you just tell listeners about uh, 
what happened there. Yeah, so I did a video politely asking her and Chris Kalila um, why they're involved with leading worship at Turning Point USA's America Fest. It was cordial, polite, you know, and Kim reached out to me and she was super kind. I said, hey, I'm going to be at the event. You want to meet up for a cup of coffee and talk? And she said, yes. So her and her husband, Skylar, met with me for over an hour. They were super kind. We had a really good talk. Um, It was genuine. Kim shared a lot about just her background, which is really helpful. Um, and you know, that's kind of what happened. It was interesting for sure based on what Kim and I talked about, and I'm not going to share all the details again, confidentiality, but it seems like Kim is her priority is like, I'll lead worship anywhere. She even said she would lead worship in like an affirming space, like a, a gay affirming space. I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear it. Like I, I appreciate the consistency, you know? So she, she told me that, and she said that that she doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to politics. She knows Sean Foy. She sees him as a friend, but they don't talk a whole lot about this stuff, yada, 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 which makes sense. I mean, I mean they came from Bethel. They're both Bethel people. So, of course, they're going to be in the same circles. Um, that's what she told me, you know, now listen, we can, can I pick it apart here for sure? Can I talk about, you know, how she did a song here for, you know, uh, a, a Trump adjacent thing for sure, but I'm going to just take her at her word and, and believe that her heart quote unquote is just to lead worship wherever she'll be asked to lead. And she led there not really knowing much about Christian nationalism or what's going on or what turning point does, which I think we have to be fair about because the reality is most people, including Christians don't know much about turning point USA. I mean, when I told people I was going, most of my friends were like, what's that? They just don't know. I didn't know until I started doing this work full time, you know, like like how deep this rabbit hole goes. So I try and have grace for people realizing that that not not everyone's going to have the same level of understanding or knowledge about these spaces. So that's kind of the story with her. We had a very cordial talk and I hope that the communication, you know, uh, I hope that the door is open for more communication. I was able to share my genuine concerns about Turning Point USA and, and, and why I'm concerned about it. And I, I framed it in a conver- in a way of saying, like, I don't want our sacred faith exploited for political gain. Like, I just don't. I think I think this movement is doing that. I think that 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 they're really hijacking the way of Jesus for political power. So hopefully that seed's planted, and you know, she says she she sits with it. Yeah. And I, I realized I did not do a good job of queuing up that question for listeners because Tim and I had been talking about it beforehand. <laughs> so Kim Walker-Smith is uh, yeah, a worship leader, a musician from Bethel Church in Reading, same church that Sean Foyt's from. Um, and yeah, she's one of these folks who's done a, been part of this movement without getting into the theological issues or conflicts that you might think could arise and um yeah i mean they sat down with her so yeah just curious kim Kim walker for those of you who don't know she's kind of like the legend worship leader i mean she's been around for a long time she has been a major influence on my own life personally now she's she's a part of jesus culture uh one thing she said that i thought was kind of cool actually was she said that that she wants to flip the worship industry on its head she can't take the show she can't take the whole industry, it drives her crazy and she's working on some stuff. And I'm like, you know what, Kim, I, I can get on board with that. <laughs> so so there was some common agreement there. I, I thought that was cool. But yeah, Kim Walker-Smith, it, it was honestly 35% of me was probably a little bit of fanboying out. Like, oh my God, I'm talking to Kim <laughs> Walker-Smith. Like, this is wild. I mean, I used to dream about being her drummer one day, you know? So it, it was cool to talk to her, even though we were talking under completely different pretenses and circumstances. But I do want to emphasize, she was, she was Kim did not owe me a conversation. I, we are a tiny tadpole in this space. 
her not talking to me is not going to hurt her influence or her work at all. And she still chose to find time out of her schedule on her birthday to sit down with me for an hour to talk. So I appreciate her being able to do that and being willing. It meant a lot. Yeah. Well, happy belated birthday to Kim Waters. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I'll have to go listen to her music. I was not familiar with her before oh. she came up and talking with you. Uh, so I, there's a couple of things that I want to go back to. I know we're pushing past an hour, um, but you mentioned the seven mountains, seven mountain mandate. Uh, and it's been interesting to see that turning point USA, it's realms of activity have kind of spread to, you know, I, I don't know if that's deliberate, like if that's conscious or if that you were just applying that analysis to it. But um, I mean, how do you, you mentioned it in your wrap-up video. Can you, why do you think that's significant as um, thinking about the Seven Mountain Mandate and TPUSA's activities? Yeah, well, the Seven Mountain Mandate, for those who don't know, essentially is this idea that actually started with a guy named Lance Wallenew, who's a pretty big Christian nationalist in the more uh, um, charismatic circles. It's a whole thing. Again, listen to the whole series by Straight White American Jesus. It explains all of this. But essentially... It's this idea that there are seven mountains in society and that they have to take them over. Uh, and the, those areas are family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. And Charlie Kirk has referenced this in one of his speeches to CPAC. He, he mentioned in 2020 that he was grateful for um, um, a president, Trump, uh, who understood you know the cultural mandate um, uh, of taking over culture essentially. So that's why I was kind of concerned. And you can see this. I mean, Turning Point Academy targets education. Turning Point Action targets politics. Turning Point Faith targets religion. Turning Point USA is kind of the big media um, empire that produces all the content, uh, you know, for for Turning Point, um, etc. You know, and of course, government politics is like is number one. So. And then you also have something called Turning Point Alumni, which is not like an actual department as far as its own entity, but it's inside of all this that's designed to help conservatives or Christian nationalists network through business. And don't forget, at the exhibitor hall, right, you have all these different businesses. You have Revere Payments. You have the the the, the um, Patriot Mobile. So even that you can see kind of being targeted. So certainly there seems to be this this influence, whether Charlie knows it directly or, or knows it directly or not, that that God has called him uh, and Christians to take over these mountains uh, of, of cultural influence and to rule them. Now the most important one is politics for a lot of these folks because politics actually legislates and. Um, and uh, what's the word regulates all the other ones. So that's why you see this massive push, you know, in, in into the political sphere. Uh, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, et cetera. There's, these, are, these, are, these are people who are steeped in this kind of ideology that we have a God-given, you know, divine right and mission to take over, to conquer enemy territory for God. And that definitely, maybe not as explicitly said as I did, but you could definitely see those themes all throughout this event. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting that Charlie Kirk, as this organization's evolved and gotten away from the libertarian focus and yes. to more Christian nationalist focus, uh, I, I think it's interesting that he has really honed in on being part of what ultimately, demographically at least, is a shrinking group. Um, I mean, perhaps he sees it differently. He, I. 
he certainly seems like a very savvy, shrewd businessman. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe I, this is, I'd love to ask him this question, but that, that evolution that, uh, I, I mean, I suppose it's, I don't really have a question in there. Well, I mean, Rob, Rob, Rob McCoy is kind of like Charlie's pastor. I think he's kind of the person that many think is responsible for kind of radicalizing Charlie in this way. Rob McCoy yeah. is a pastor at Godspeed Calvary Chapel. I actually spoke to him. He knew who I was. I was honored. I said, oh, Rob, <laughs> thank you. Um, he was super kind. We talked for about 15 minutes. I asked him a few questions. Um, and, you know, uh, it's hard to know, man. You know, the, the, listen, I don't want to speak ill of people, but Charlie says so many things that are just not truthful, mainly on Twitter. And he says things that are just so brutal and so unkind you have to wonder if he knows this or or if he really believes the bullshit that he's selling. It's hard to know. It's profitable. He makes I'm assuming he makes a pretty good living at a minimum. He built a massive organization. He's seen as 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 a celebrity in these spaces. Certainly that's a nice feeling. Um I don't think I don't think he thinks that his movement is shrinking. I think he thinks it's growing. I think he thinks that you know with God on his side who can stand against him. I mean, we we can't underestimate how this idea that 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 we're on God's side and therefore we're not going to lose even when things look really bad underpins so much of of this particular movement. That that is the foundation that that all the politics stand on. You know, this concept that God's a warrior you know what's that Phil Wickham song? Uh, our God, right? If our God, our God is for us. Our God is God. You are higher than any other. It's that kind of idea. And the bridge says, "Man, I used to know a song by, like the back of my hand." But um, oh, what's the lyrics say? It's worth mentioning. Hold on, I'll look it up really quick. Because sorry, I'm an Episcopalian. I don't know worship. Yeah, it's fine. So the lyrics go, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And it repeats a few times. You know, that's the idea. And the chorus is, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And this is the language, I think, or this is the culture that, that, that permeates all of this. That no, we are on God's side. And we're not going to lose. It doesn't matter what the data says. It doesn't matter if Trump lost. The prophets say otherwise. You know, people say otherwise. God says otherwise. That is a very powerful psychological belief, right? That 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 gets people into a headspace where they really think they can do no wrong, or, or that their side. Um, is is gonna prevail and the demonic enemy, you know, Satan, whoever that is, whatever that is, the liberals, their their days are limited. That's that's the kind of merger we have here. Um, Satan is liberal and God is conservative. They won't put it in those terms. There's some talk here and there about how you know politics aren't God, but the whole event is an ode to politics. The whole event is an ode to, to, to God taking this side, the side of far right-wing politics. So you just can't escape that. So you grew up in that that environment. I mean, it's obviously evolved, but you grew up as a in a Calvinist evangelical household church. You've yeah. you, you've gone through a you're not who you are today is not who you grew up as. Um, so based on you know, your experience, your individual experience, your experience with new evangelicals, your experience at this event, I mean, that is a compelling message, right? If, if someone is a believer 
and we are talking about black and white. Like this is not a time for nuance. You have to take sides. I mean, what is another way to live with that feeling, that compulsion to live this gospel out as a believer, but do it in a way that doesn't dehumanize? I mean, what would, how do you see? Cause I mean, you still believe you don't, it's not like you don't feel that immediacy of, you know, what are, what we do matters, but you're certainly trying to do it a different way. Yeah. Well, there is, there's just so much talk of enemies in these spaces. And, you know, I like to think in some ways I'm, I'm more of a radical Jesus follower than these folks, which I guess we all try and claim. Um, you know, I, I don't say that in any kind of way, but it's like, how do we love our enemies well? What does that look like? How do we do that while still resisting their desire to want to conquer? <laughs> I don't have all the answers to that, but I do know that at least for me, a core value of mine and the organization is that dehumanization puts us on the path to violence. We have to resist that. However, we still have an obligation um, to to either um, um, work with the marginalized uh, to make sure that 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 who this rhetoric targets is is protected or and that rhetoric is resisted. Uh, so there's that side of things too, right? Where it's like, what happens when loving my enemy also means complicity potentially in someone else's harm? What do what do we do with that, right? And so I'm always trying to work through those both of those things of like. I'm not going to call Charlie Kirk a piece of shit, but also Charlie's rhetoric and his empire is really problematic in hurting people. You know, it's hurting the queer community. It's hurting the margin. It's hard. It's hurting BIPOC folks. It even hurts white folks in some ways, right? What do we do with that? How do we recognize that? So I think that's like how I'm trying to think about it. And I'm not the person to have all those answers. There's great other theologians and brilliant thinkers of our time who are, I think, answering those questions at least better than I ever could. Um, but I, I think that's how I think about it, frankly. And in, in your work, and as much as you want to dissuade people who you disagree with, um, I mean, how would you, again, take coming away from this event, uh, do you have any thoughts about how to reach out to people and, and focusing on that, I guess, love your enemy aspect of what you were just talking about. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, well, I mean, assuming that this is not advice for everyone, you know, some people don't need to talk to their enemies. Uh, I totally get it for different reasons. I'm not going to tell an abuser or an abu- uh, someone who's abused by their abuser, go go talk to your abuser, win them over, right? <laughs> That's not what we're saying, yeah. just to be clear. I think for me, though, um, I'm just, I'm able to operate in this headspace of just like, I'm very pragmatic in a lot of ways. So I think about like, how do I get what I want? And what do I want? Well, I want people to realize that this Christian nationalism stuff is freaking a, I would argue antichrist in behavior, and B, does not lead to human flourishing for all and is ultimately self-centered. So I think that for me that that perspective helps me be willing to hope that if I can just plant seeds of doubt and be loving and be kind, but also firm, that maybe when that defense is lower, that, that oh, well, Tim's not a bad guy. Tim's not this demonic Democrat, right? Tim's not this irrational liberal. Um, that could hopefully lower defenses. And so hopefully the, some of these thoughts might actually get planted. And they start thinking like, hmm, like, yeah, maybe that's a good point. And I say this as someone who that's kind of what happened to me. That's not everyone's journey, but I, I certainly wasn't screamed at uh, um, into you know not being uh, a Christian nationalist. It wasn't people telling me that I'm a homophobic asshole that that won me over. It was. 
people who were friends of mine who were gay, who just told me their stories, you know? And I was like, wow, I, I had, I trust you. I don't think you're making this up. I believe you. And that just kind of popped my, my version of reality. What do I do with this? Or it was my roommate, a good friend of mine, who's a black American who told me just one day nonchalantly how often he gets pulled over. And I'm like, what? Mm. what? Like, what do you mean you get pulled over? He's like, dude, it happens all the time. And this is a friend, someone that I trust. It's not someone out there, right? It's someone in my life, someone who I'm still close to today. And that sat with me. And I'm like, that never happened to me. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm thinking like, well, maybe my experience isn't everyone's reality, right? So I, I hope that I hope that I can pass that on to people while still prioritizing our mission, right? Those marginalized by the evangelical church. You know, if push comes to shove, if I have to, if I ha- if I if I'm ever in a situation where I either choose, uh, you know, being nice to the Christian nationalists or protecting or 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 standing up for the folks in our community, I will choose that latter all the time. I will always prioritize the folks in our spaces over, you know, being nice to a Christian nationalist, so to speak. But if I can do both as often as possible, I'm going to, hoping that one day some of those seeds you know, get, take root and people start thinking, yeah, you know, this, th- there is a lot of dehumanization in these spaces. There is a lot of, of like calling people morons and stupid and making fun of people. And that, that's not very fruit of the spirit. Like, and maybe that starts getting, 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 getting them to think outside their own bubble that somehow they're on the side of God and country and that God blesses it. That's kind of what I hope, you know, I, whether that, that that's going to happen or not impossible to know, but I'm at least going to try. Hmm. Well, I can't think of anything else to ask you. Well, I mean, I could, but um, no, I, that's my job. I can, but uh, I, we've gone for well over an hour. Um, so I, I, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to? No, I have a ton of things that I think will will make it into other content and videos and stuff from this experience. But I think we really debriefed a lot. We debriefed a lot of the event and what I was really concerned about. And I hope that I gave people a decent taste of what I experienced being there, right? And I think simultaneously, this humanized everything in those spaces for me, knowing that, oh my God, these are these are humans. They're not just Christian nationalist robots, right? They're human beings who have friends and they have families and they they like certain foods over other kinds of foods they listen to music like like they're actual humans at the same time it also only reinforced why i'm so concerned about this movement and what it's advocating for in our society so i have to continue to work through that and to think about 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 how i handle that going forward how we maintain the posture of non-dehumanization and also I keep these doors open because I, I need to. Like for me to really learn about what they believe and what they stand for, those conversations are so key. So I, I don't want to betray those conversations. At the same time, right, we have an obligation uh, to hold space for the folks marginalized by the evangelical church. And unfortunately, Christian nationalism is one of the main culprits of that. So I have to work through that as much as I can. No, Yeah, certainly. I mean, you can't uh, – nobody, whether it's Christian nationalists or the work that you do, you can't uh can't effectively work to change something if you don't actually legitimately sincerely try to understand it exactly. i i appreciate what you said there at the end um with in terms of reaching out to folks it sounded like you know it's about relationships maybe putting a stone in their shoe that they <laughs> kind of just annoys them until they can't ignore it uh and not wagging a finger at them 
I have found that questions, questions, questions. You know, um, I was changed by people asking me questions, and I hope that you know, as I'm able to ask more questions, it's able just to help them realize that, like, hey, there's some questions here that 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 there are not good answers to, and if if the highest allegiance is Jesus, like you claim. We you have to rec- you have to tend with that you have to contend with that you have to work through that you know you have to figure out why you claim to follow a Jesus who says in black and white love your enemies while you stand with the movement that wants to conquer and destroy their enemies because they're satanic like that's for you to figure out you know but I'm going to ask the question. Well, thank you, Tim. Uh, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Thanks for getting it out of me, you. Dan. I appreciate it. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> Wait, uh, I know I was kind of playing the host, but this is your podcast, so I'll let you take us out. Friends, thank you so much for listening. I know there's a lot here. I hope that that this interview of me <laughs> was helpful for you just to kind of gain perspective. And listen, I want you to know that in my view, there is no reason to straw man Christian nationalism and what it advocates for, we can still man it and find plenty of things that are problematic with it. So that's what we want to do. We want to be as honest and faithful to what they're actually saying as possible. Thank you for making time. Um, we'll come back. It's almost the end of the year. I appreciate you being here. It means a lot. And we'll talk again soon. See ya. See ya.